Welcome to another episode of the Live to Accomplish podcast with Nathan Shooter. To discover more insightful episodes, blogs, videos, and resources, visit nathanshooter.com. Hey, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Live to Accomplish podcast. My name's Nathan, and as with every episode on this show and also the videos and the blogs that we do together, it's all about us sitting down to find simple ways that we can create significant changes in our everyday life. Well, it's been an incredibly busy couple of weeks. I've been in India for a while with speaker and author Kerry Phipps and touring around there as she spoke to different crowds. And then I went home in Australia for two nights in my own bed. And then then I ended up over in America where I spent some time in Los Angeles just checking out the place, then eventually heading down to Anaheim for Podcast Movement 2017. And it was an amazing conference. So I've just finished up there and I'm ready and inspired to introduce you to a whole bunch of new content that I prepared for you all. And a couple of months ago as well, you may have noticed that I was in Singapore and I had the privilege of attending the Asia Professional Speakers Summit while I was there. And it was a really fantastic opportunity to learn about communication and how to communicate with greater effectiveness. So as part of that, I recorded an interview with Mr. Rob Salisbury, who is a just absolute legend at communicating. So be sure to go and check out that episode um, that's already aired with Rob and you're going to learn a lot as a result of listening to that one. And while I was there, I had the privilege also of listening to Mustafa Hamwi do a keynote presentation. And he around the world is known as the Passionpreneur. And as he gets on the stages everywhere, he speaks about how we can unlock greater clarity when it comes to seeing what we're good at and what we enjoy doing and putting those things together to create a life that is honestly more passionate and has a really great deal of meaning as we live. And so today's episode, I really want you to buckle down and learn and extract as much as you can out of my conversation with him. And he was kind enough to sit down with an interview um, with me to really, I guess, help our listeners like you and I together to learn about how we can be more passionate, but really do so in a realistic, practical sense. So let's jump right in to my conversation in Singapore with Mustafa Hamwe. So over the course of these last few days, we've been really um, treated to some excellent thoughts and some excellent ways of seeing things in a different light. And so one of the big things that um, you stand for and you've spoken and, and you've written on is this idea of passion. So passion for me, I have a, a, a shaky relationship with the word passion. Most people do. <laughs> Most people do, quite right. And so this is one of the reasons why I thought it'd be so great to get you on the show is because we as a generation and generation um, um, prior as well but more so us as we've been told you can do anything and I myself was brought up by parents who put an asterisk on that and said you can do anything but be specific on how you choose to do it and then train yourself to do it because you're not um, some big Jedi who can just do anything you want anytime you want so enter the word passion so for myself I would define passion perhaps differently to you and we discuss in the pre-interview chat that this is where we need to start. We need to check out what do we define as passion so we can have a discussion. So f- for yourself, how do you describe, um, or how would you define rather, passion? 
Yeah, thank you very much. That's definitely a good start because I realized when I was working on spreading more passion around the world after my uh, journey on a one-way ticket to India that different people have different definitions to passion. And there's no way we're going to be able to be on the same page if we don't agree a common language and a common definition to the word passion. So the first place I started was the dictionary. And the dictionary defined passion as any compelling feeling which naturally translates into doing what you love. And this is pretty much where most people are. They're like, okay, if I love it so much, then that's my passion. And when I'd call companies, say, I wanna come and talk to employees about being passionate and doing what they love, they were like, really? No, we're not gonna pay you money to do that. And I realized that that's pretty shallow definition of passion. So as I'm doing interviews on my talk show, which is called Passion Sundays, I've, I've interviewed about 100 international authors, speakers, experts, and so on, probably going on about 150 now. I was interviewing Brian Tracy, and he said, you will never be passionate about something unless you are good at it. Which makes a lot of sense because- It makes a lot of sense. It, I might be passionate about singing, but if I sound like a goat and I don't improve myself, I'm <laughs> gonna get booed off stage, so eventually I'm gonna quit on it. So the definition became doing what you love and what you're good at. I kept with that definition for a while until I was interviewing Fons Trompenars, uh, and again, an international author, speaker, and expert. And he said to me, be careful because the wrong kind of passion can hurt the world. And I was like, wrong kind of passion? What do you mean wrong kind of passion? There is no wrong kind of passion. He goes, really, think about Hitler. Mm. He was passionate about what he's doing and it was good for him, but it wasn't good for the world. And it was then that I realized that the quality of your passion comes from the quality of your purpose. And the definition became, passion is doing what you love, what you are good at, and is of value to the world. So that has to be good for the world too and has to be in demand. And if you think about it from a business context, when you are offering something that's in demand, people would pay you money for it so you can create a business around it. Supply and demand. Supply and demand. And if you think of the second part of the definition, which is good at, that means you get professional at it and only then you can turn it into a profession. So now the definition became doing what you love, what you are good at, and is of value to the world. And I stayed with that definition for a while. I'm working with people, I'm coaching them. I know that they're really good at this stuff. They, they really love it. I can see it in their eyes when I'm talking about it. And it adds value to the world. So if they stick to it, they would become really phenomenally successful, but they wouldn't stick to it. They would, they would do it for two to three months and then they would look for the next passion and then the next passion and then the next passion. So it, it's what I call the shiny object syndrome. <laughs> Every time something is shiny, they drop what they've got. You know, when you're kids, you see another toy and you throw it and you want the other toy and you want the other toy. And as adults, we don't stop doing that. We just change the things that we do it with. Yeah, we just want different type of shine. So, you know, uh, when we're little boys, we wanted a toy car. When we get big, we want the real thing. And <laughs> little girls want a Barbie and now they want diamonds. But we're all boys and girls even when we grow up. So I realized that the key success factor and the key differentiating factor in the definition of passion is the word consistency. So the definition became, in my book, which took me a couple of years to distill that learning, was consistently doing what you love, what you're good at, and is of value to the world. What differentiates true passion is not the first three 
It's actually the word consistency. If you're consistent at it, then that's your passion. If you're not consistent at it, that's not a passion. It could be a hobby, it could be a fling, it could be a thing uh, which you change. Only when you stay at it long enough, you're gonna love it even more, you're gonna get better at it even more, and then people will start paying you more money for it. And even if they don't pay you money for it, you will have a lot of fans appreciating what you're doing. So now we have a common language of what does passion mean. So any discussion I'm having moving forward now is in the context of this word, passion as I just defined it. That's great. And so now I guess what we're seeing now is a bit of a formula. So if you wanted to be able to, um, this is something that everyone says, but if, if you can't measure it, then you can't manage it. Yep. So now that we're able to measure what you're saying and put it into this formulaic approach, it makes a lot of sense to people like me who like to have things with a bit of shape and a little bit of form. And so it's not this big amorphous idea that people just have this concept of passion. It's actually a very straightforward um, process and formula. So now if we are someone who I guess like is in a job and we are doing very well at our job, but we want to go and pursue this other passion, what you said before is, is key is consistency. So how do we know, how do, at what point do we say to ourselves, okay, I'm in this job and I've got the safety. How then can we give these guys who are listening to us today, I guess, drive to go and follow this passion? So there's that awkwardness, would you agree, from, from where we are now to where our passion lies. And then we've got these awkward adolescence in between. So how do we move through that? So... I'd like to always start with uh, why is it important to pursue passion in the first place? Because now that we're clear on the definition, at least we debunked the myth of what is passion. And let me be clear is, passion for me is not happiness. If anything, the pursuit of happiness is making you sad. Because happiness is correlated to desires, and desires are endless. You see, you want a chocolate, it makes you happy for a moment, and then that goes down. They make you unhappy because of the results. <laughs> because of the results, yeah. And then let's say you're you want a you know you want a partner, you want a girl or or a, you want a guy, whoever it is that you feel is gonna bring that happiness to you. Well, look back and look at any bad relationship you had, and you realize the same reason that made you happy makes you sad. So the pursuit of happiness is dependent on polarity, positive and negative. And that's the nature of life. You get an up, you get a down. You get a good night out, you drink a lot, you get a hangover the next day. You eat a lot, you get an impact on your body. And that's the nature of life. So if you're pursuing happiness, you're pursuing desires and desires are endless, how much wood is enough to feed the fire? You'll never be happy. Happiness is something you give to yourself. Passion brings you fulfillment. And this is really what we should be seeking. So in that context, number one, when you, when you are passionate about what you do, you get energy. And energy is a crucial element in success. Things usually never go according to plan. Things never go according to your expectations. And you would probably not get the desired results as soon as you wish they would. And I know from my personal journey, more than once, and I'm sure you did the same. And if you're an entrepreneur, you know that better than anybody else. So passion is energy and energy means fuel and fuel can keep you going throughout the journey no matter how tough it is. Now second thing is passion gives you what I call a joyful competitive advantage. Yeah, that, that's interesting that you mentioned that because we don't put joy and competition or business terms together. And um, so yeah, just unpack that for us today. So, so, so think of it this way, two people are on a race line one of them is running the race purely for the money. One of them is running the race because they enjoy it. 
We know the world economical situation keeps changing. It's never been the same. If you look at a long span, there's always ups and downs. It's never going to keep going up. It's going to go up and down, up and down. It's a roller coaster ride. So the person who's in it for the money, they're going to keep going till the money runs dry. Then they're going to dip. Now, if they're persistent, they will keep chasing that for a while. But there's a point where you're going to go, nah, man, I don't want this anymore. Let me jump to the next thing. So what's going to happen is they're going to quit. While the person who's enjoying it, even if they're not making money yet, they're like, well, I love it. You know, maybe there's no money now, but I know I'm going to make money later. So that's what I call a joyful competitive advantage because you're able to stay longer just because you're enjoying it. And if you don't believe me, think of children. How many times have you had to force a child to play? <laughs> you pull them away and they go back into play. Vice versa, how many times have you pulled a child away from doing homework? You have to push them to homework because it's work. It's work. It's Nobody not likes. a natural disposition to want to go straight to homework competitive when you go to play. You want you want to have fun. That's that's our nature. We all have that child inside of us. So when you're feeding that child, that child becomes alive. And children, look at adults versus children. Adults are always like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. These children are full of energy. Guess what? We're all full of energy. It's just that we lost our childhood. And if we bring that joy back into our childhood through passion, we have that joyful competitive advantage. Yeah. Now, third thing is passion gives you clarity. And clarity means certainty. And certainty means confidence and confidence means action. And the more you do that, the same loop is going more because you get more clarity, you get more certainty, you get more focus and you keep going at it. And that more clarity means more focus. And if there's one thing from all the interviews that I've done that is common between all these people is they're very focused and very consistent. And it kind of one feeds the other. The more focused you are, the more consistent you stay at it, and then you stay at it. And there's an interview that I watched with uh, Jack Welch, and he said that him and uh, uh, the guy from uh, Microsoft, Bill Gates, they were sitting and Jack Welch's dad asked, uh, yeah, I think it was either Bill Gates's or Jack Welch's dad, asked him a question. He said, both of you write on a separate piece of paper, what is the one thing that made you successful? They both written separately the word focus. Hmm. And that focus come from being clear on what your passion is. And so, so these are the key reasons why pursue the passion. So if those are not reasons good enough, let me just ask you a question. Can you guarantee living another day? No. Another hour? No. So if you know that you don't have guarantees that you're going to be here tomorrow or the day after or the next year, tomorrow never comes. It's always about today. So just start pursuing your passion now because you only got one life. Whether you believe in reincarnation or not, it doesn't matter because all I know is what I have on the table today and that's today. And if I'm reincarnated, let me live twice as happy. But <laughs> I want to I get the best that I can do in this life now. And that's, therein lies an, another, another discussion too where we talk about passion and then we also put together this other idea of when I'm ready. You know? And so I like how you phrase that saying, you know, we are living today was yesterday's tomorrow. So then at what point do we find that we need to be patient? So passion and patience, again, are kind of juxtaposed, kind of like they don't play together, those schoolmates. And so I liked in your story, which I'm hoping that you might share with us now um, when, you, when you spoke, that fulfillment doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as happiness. So we can be doing our passion, yet we can still be fulfilled even though we're on a, on a low end of the curve. So can you just tell us about your story and um, your one-way ticket to, to India and how that kind of met... 
um, with your need to find out your passion and your purpose? Sure. So I've been living in Dubai since 2000 and right about 2007, 2008, which were the peak years of Dubai, I'd been running a successful events agency. I had a modeling agency. Uh, I was a partner in these agencies that I started and I was part of a big group that probably at that time got evaluated at about $200 million. And I used to do a lot of the business development within the groups. So I was responsible for the new projects and got exposed to a lot of nightlife events, a lot of entertainment events, a lot of clubbing events. So you can imagine how my lifestyle was. On the outside, it was the dream come true for any guy. Uh, a lot of the guys wanted to hang out, a lot of the girls wanted to hang out. You had, you had, you know, the, the access to the clubs, the tables of every club, the VVVIP tables of the, of the clubs. Along with that, I felt so empty on the inside. So that was very challenging because the more shiny my life became on the outside, the more empty I felt on the inside. It felt like a, pretty much like a balloon. The bigger the balloon was getting, the bigger the vacuum on the inside. The more air inside, yeah. The more air inside, mm. and this is how I felt. So eventually, one day, I mean, a lot happened, and I just woke up one day and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. It's you just not, kind of reached a wall. I, I'm like, I can't do it anymore. It's just the emptiness is killing me. And I had to shift my perception about life and take drastic measures to put my life together. My health was deteriorating. I was drinking a lot, smoking a lot. I'd, I'd smoke a pack a night when I go out. I'd drink about a bottle a night when I go out. And one day I just stopped smoking, stopped drinking, got into yoga, got into meditation, and stayed on that for a couple of years. And around 2012, I had heard before about a meditation called Vipassana, which is 10 days of silence. Um, and I decided that that was like a good time to Which go. is kind of funny now that you're a speaker. To yeah, get exactly. To get well, I think you need, you need both balances. You need the yin and yang, and you need to be able to uh, go inwards before you can go outwards. Otherwise, you're just a mouthpiece. You can, everybody can regurgitate, especially today. You can oh. regurgitate a lot of words. You, you go on the internet and you look up some words and you go, we should this and we should that. But there's a totally different level of speaking when you're congruent about what you're delivering. So you're no longer a speaker in principle, you are a messenger. And I differentiate that a lot. Anybody can get up on stage and, and just regurgitate words. But to be a true speaker, you have to speak from heart. You have to have a message. And after I've done that 10 days of silence, and when I say silence, it means absolute silence. 10 days, 16 hours a day, you do nothing. No reading, no writing, no journaling, no Facebook, no Snapchat, no social media, no mobile. You do nothing but sit down and observe your breathing and just go inwards. So this was in India, is that, is that where you- it was, it's, a, it's an Indian concept. Vipassana is the Indian concept that uh, Buddha used to get enlightened. So he actually did a lot more than 10 days, but 10 days is the induction course where you truly get a first-hand feel of what's going inside you. So by the end of those 10 days, I realized that I need to go inwards a lot more. I, I had not known myself. I mean, the 10 days did not make me know myself. It made me realize how much I do not know myself. And later that year, I bought a one-way ticket to India. Just left everything behind and went into the Himalayas. Wow. That's, that's an incredible thought, especially from someone with a business background. And you need that, um, that certainty and then your also financial reserves and to know that there's got to be a result for this. But when you say you just go into the, the Himalayas and then that's a, that's a one-way ticket, uh, where do you start once you arrive? Well, I'll tell you where I started because sometimes when you're so lost, uh, you don't know which way is up. It's 
better to even get a bit more lost before you can find your way. <laughs> and it was a gut feeling. And I'm, I'm, I'm just putting an asterisk on whatever I'm saying here. I'm not recommending to anyone yeah. to just buy a one-way ticket. Because yeah. funny, after I started telling my story, a lot of people started buying this one-way ticket. They went to India, they came back, they're like, oh my God, I hated it. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't tell you to buy a one-way ticket. That it was just worked for you, you know? Yeah, it just yeah. worked for me and that was my sign. Maybe, maybe your one-way ticket is, is somewhere else. It's inward. The journey, the thing is, so my story, my book is called Cavalli to Manali. So Cavalli is a representation of the Cavalli Club and the nightlife and the whole style of crazy life. And Manali is where I met my Swami in India. But the subheader of the book is on a journey within. So after I went to India, I realized that the trip to India was not it. It was what I had to do to go inside. So in my case, I was in such a crazy environment that I needed to disconnect but maybe other people are in different situations and they can find that journey within. And that's truly about meditation. So on my journey to India, I came across a Swami who's been in caves for 13 years. In caves? Yeah. Wow. I didn't meet him in the caves. When I met him, he had <laughs> right. just come out a couple of years before. And it was a coincidence. Again, they say when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Teacher appears. Well, we just met each other coincidentally in the Himalayas. I don't know how, how I would have even found him. And what the, what happened with him and the whole journey was what's going to be written in that Cavalli to Manali book. But it was so is one, this book already out? The Cavalli to Manali is still being written. So I have other things around passion, which I will share with you, but the Cavalli to Manali is not written yet. It's a, there's a lot of details, a lot of emotional journey for me, again, to go through that experience and write the book. So it's something that's planned to come out in the coming years because uh, it's more of my journal and there's a lot of little details I need to be very specific and particular about. So I'm not rushing writing that book. Yeah, we'll, we'll share that with people um, when we know it's ready. Yeah. yeah. So what uh, he asked me on one of our interactions, he has a long beard as you'd imagine, <laughs> and then he'd be playing with his beard. And I was asking him a lot about life and he goes, do you know what you are thirsty for? Because if you do not know what you are thirsty for, you cannot quench your thirst. So how did you, res how did you respond to that? Well, I didn't because that was a shock of my life. It was <laughs> like, hold on, I just bought a one-way ticket to India on a search for an answer, and I realized I did not even have the question. I didn't know what I was looking for. I knew I was lost, and I was looking for directions, but I didn't even know directions to where. And sometimes that's really infuriating when you're going to someone and you're kind of metaphorically sitting at their feet and saying, just tell me what to do. But really you're saying is, tell me how to ask myself better questions, but we ask it in the frame of, just tell me what to do because I'm so, I'm so lost. The quality of your life is defined by the quality of your questions because mm. the question determines the answer. And it was that question that he asked me that made me realize that I don't know what I'm thirsty for. So in a way, maybe I was not clear on the answer, but I was definitely clear on what's the question I need to answer now. Mm. So I kept on pursuing my journey in India further while contemplating on what am I thirsty for? What am I thirsty for? What am I thirsty for? And by coincidence, I discovered I had a medical condition. I walk into a hospital, get myself checked up. I discovered I had a medical condition. Luckily, I healed from that condition naturally. But that incident brought the understanding that we don't have a guarantee on our life. Mm. It's what I asked you earlier. Can you guarantee living another day? And it's almost an arrogant assumption to assume that there's more time coming. It is, and we take things for granted in life because we wake up every day and the logic says, well, I've been 
I'm 40 now, so I've been here for 40 years. The probability is I'd be There's for more. 41. Mm. But the thing is, it's also as random as a lottery. So as, as well as you could be picked up to win a lottery, you could be picked up to just depart. So that realization hit me hard. And I was like, what if this was it for me? What if this was a cancer? What if it was a cancer and I didn't discover it and I could have died? What if, what if, what if? And they were so real. They were not just mental. They were, they were staring me in the face. They were a physical representation of some of those questions. And I'm like, okay, well, if this is it, what would I regret not doing if today was the last day of my life? And this is when I realized that I was thirsty for impact. I had been living a life full of pleasure, full of fun, full of joy, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we shouldn't, but I don't think this is why we're here. That's not it. That's not, not it. Not the this, whole th it. This is a byproduct of doing things that are fulfilling and not hap happiness is not the result. People say, I want to be happy. I've spent years in the pursuit of happiness till I realize it's the pursuit of fulfillment. Mm. When you are fulfilled as a byproduct, you become happy. And sometimes you're not gonna be happy. You're not gonna be happy if, if you have a family member die, if you lose all your money, but those are facts of life. But you will be fulfilled to know that you are fulfilling that which you are born on this planet to do. Because they say the two most important days of your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Mark Twain. And Mark Twain, beautiful. And it was that when I realized that, okay, my purpose is to be able to inspire the world. But I didn't know how exactly. I didn't know what I'm gonna do. So I, I just wanted impact. So I bought another one-way ticket back to Dubai. Now it's 2013. You have a habit of just buying one-way tickets. Well, here's the thing about one-way tickets. There's an advantage and a disadvantage. And the advantage of burning bridges and buying one-way tickets, there's no way to fail. Failure is not on the menu. There's no plan B. There is no plan B. Plan B is plan A and you gotta make that plan A work <laughs> and you bet your life on it. And trust me, it is gonna work. It's gonna be tough, but you're gonna, you know, if you have the will to survive, you're gonna really survive. And You'll make it gonna, work. You'll make it work. You have, you have no options to do it. It's like, I'm a skydiver. When you jump out of a plane, you gotta make that thing work. You plan as much as you can before to do what you gotta do. And it was all my life was preparation for me coming back doing what I'm doing. To open that door of the plane. I get back to Dubai and I started doing different things trying to cause that impact. I've probably tried 10, 15, 20 ventures in relation to impact. Anything from a yoga festival to uh, uh, taking people on retreats to India, to, nothing worked, nothing was working. So I was getting frustrated again and I was still doing my Kavali to Manali talks in 2013. This is when it started. And it was somewhere towards the end of 2013, I'm sitting in a hotel in Dubai on a terrace and a random person passing by turns around, looks at me and walks up straight to me. And he goes, hey, you're that speaker guy. I said, yeah. He goes, you did your talk about India. I said, yeah. He goes, you changed my life. And it was so like, in that moment, what did you think? I, it was my eyes went like large and I was like present. I remember that moment vividly. And it was like, I was like, ta-da. <laughs> and it suddenly got light bulbs going all over the place. It wasn't the one light parted. bulb. It, it wasn't one light bulb. It was just like Lots jackpot. Off. It was jackpot. It was all of these lights. And I'm like, okay, I found it. This is what I want to do. And this is when I knew that my impact comes through me speaking. 
because I didn't know how I was going to cause the impact. So I realized that my impact was going to come through speaking. And from that moment, I started getting random emails, literally from random people saying, I've been traveling the world, I've been taking courses, nothing has been working with me. It just for some reason, when you shared your story, something worked for me, or at least it triggered me to do something and inspired me to do something. And then January 2014, I left and I canceled the contracts that I was working on. And I said, this is what I'm going to be doing. Well, here's the learning. I didn't have a clear plan and I just jumped on a leap of faith. Well, again, back into another one-way ticket and started calling companies saying, I'm gonna come and deliver the Cavalli to Manali talk to you. And they go, hold on. So you wanna tell how you bought a one-way ticket to India? That's not good for business. That's not good for business. And I'm like, uh-oh, I should have thought that a little bit more. So 2014, 2015 was fairly uh, rough ride for me because I was trying to figure out how can I deliver that impact into the world because in Dubai, it's more B2B market, not a B2C market. So I wasn't able to deliver, it's not like the US where you do all these big events and you get thousands of people showing up. Who are a mix of consumer and business, that's right. So, so, so and companies were not willing to pay me. So here I am having to juggle million things again, trying to keep my passion alive. And this is where the challenge was for me. It was, how can I stay true to that mission, true to that passion without losing it or going stuck in the rat race again? So it was a bit, a foot here and a foot there and I was juggling a lot of stuff. By the end of 20, I, I moved from discovering your calling to discovering your purpose to discovering your passion. I had to pivot and change a lot. And end of 2015, a person on a Saturday evening sitting with friends of friends turns around to me and goes, uh, he introduces me as this guy who's doing these passion talks. And one of the people sitting on the table goes, oh my God, man, I got to go back to work. I need some of your passion. And I go, oh. That was just a throwaway comment. A throwaway comment. And I go, oh, Passion Sundays. And this is how the whole idea for my talk show, Passion Sundays, happened. And in 2016, I started Passion Sundays. Somewhere around mid-2016, I interviewed the inventor of mind mapping, Professor Tony Buzan, wow. who was a, a Nobel Prize nominee. And after the talk, we go to an event, and I'm not there, I just go backstage, and somebody says Passion, and he goes, Passion, I know who you have to talk to. Where is he, where is he? Um, uh, the Passion guy, the Passion guy. He couldn't remember my name, he just, where is he, the Passion guy? And then I come on stage and everybody goes, oh, you're the Passion guy. And I picked up the name, the Passion guy, and I started <laughs> becoming globally known as the Passion guy. Which is obviously a, um, a really succinct evidence for your key message. And that comes back to your whole idea of purpose and being able to measure and to define that passion. That would be a massive compliment for you then because then you're going, ah, oh, I'm being understood. People know what I stand for. True, that being said, if you rewind, because now now we're looking at the end of the movie where the hero wins and everything is looking great. <laughs> but if you'd rewind at how rough those years were for me, when I was not fulfilled with my life, when I had to buy a one-way ticket, when I had the medical condition, when I came back almost broke because I'd lost most of my money either because it's been a couple of years of self-discovery and through the crisis in, in Dubai, and then I had to come back, and then I had to leave the consulting contract that I had and realize that, whoa, what I was trying to do was not gonna work. So there's a lot of up and down and bump rides before I got to a point where I was kind of, okay, finally somebody acknowledged, but it wasn't that I was waiting for that acknowledgement. That acknowledgement came as a byproduct of my consistency mm. in doing what I love, what I got very good at by investing hours and days and, and hours and days, which is they say you need 10,000 hours for mastery. I've That's spent right. a lot more than the 10,000 mm. hours and doing what I love, what I'm good at, and that is adding value to the world. And by then I had figured out a way to bring passion back into the business. So now companies are paying me money to go and speak to employees about finding passion 
where they are. So that took a lot of refinement and a lot of persistence and consistency because nothing went according to plan. So yes, eventually things picked up and now I'm being acknowledged as one of the world's top experts on the topic of passion, which is beautiful. And now I'm spinning off several products in certain industries like passion for speaking, passion for presentation, passion for pitching. But that only came when I've mastered being the passion guy first. And I like the idea of um, the the footprint or the um, the value to the world from what, from what you do because I think some of the time that we have this external like you were saying with the balloon the the external self kind of is looking for satisfaction but our inner self is looking for fulfillment mm-hmm. and to me that's great but how is that focused on other people you know so um, so how did you start to be more conscious about okay, I've got this passion, but what does it mean for everybody else? So your value to the world. So how did you start to really be very, um, I guess, uh, clear on, on refining that and doing that? So there's a shift that started to happen because when at the beginning I was only telling my talks, remember, I was I was not the passion guy. Hmm. 2013, 2014, 2015, I was the Cavalli to Manali guy. You're a guy with passion. I was a guy that had passion, but I didn't even know the word passion back then. I was truly just talking about finding your purpose and finding your calling, and I was doing it by sharing my story. And after one of my talks, a guy walked up to me and he goes, this is amazing, your story is beautiful, but hey, I'm a family guy, I have kids, I have a family, I cannot buy a one-way ticket to India, I cannot even spend as much time and money as you did on exploring myself. I don't have that luxury, what can I do? And I was like, oh, uh, I didn't think about that. And from then, I spent a couple of years developing the frameworks and I started going on the search of what does passion mean? Because my initial idea was inspire people to come on retreats to India to discover themselves. And I realized not everybody has the luxury of doing that. So I said, if they can't come to India, I'm gonna bring India to them. So you see, I was very determined on my original purpose that I discovered, which was changing people's lives. I didn't succeed in the first and the second and the 10th and the 20th try. I did not change the goal or the target. I changed the plan. And you changed the method. A lot of people change, start changing the goal when the goal doesn't work. So Mm. they keep shifting goals. Mm rather than shifting plans. What I'm saying is no, you stick to the goal that you've defined and you adapt the plan depending on the context because you don't know what you don't know and you'll only know it when you find it. But when you're focused on the purpose and the service that you're doing, then you're gonna find ways to make it work. Hmm. And that's great. I think that's a really nice way to um, wrap up this uh, this interview and put a bow on it and saying like to people, you know, you've heard all these amazing things and you've heard the more dramatic approach to, to one-way tickets to, to foreign nations. So when you are in your own car and you're sitting in the commute to work or you're at home with the, with the kids and there's mess everywhere and you're living in the, in the everyday, what you're gonna need is some really great questions to be able to extract that passion from yourself and to, put, to pull yourself up to even start thinking about it. So what are some good questions that we can ask ourselves when we're in the humdrum everyday um, setting that we find ourselves in? What are some key questions? Beautiful question about questions. So <laughs> let me give you one of my strongest questions in the passion discovery process. I mean, I have something called the Passion Journey. This is an online program that I'm launching soon. It might be launched by the time we put this interview. Excellent. uh, That helps people discover and live because the discovery is one part, but making it happen is another part. Uh, There's one of the questions that I asked there, I call it the billion dollar question. Would you like to know that? Yeah, I'm pretty curious. All right. It sounds very expensive. It, It is kind of expensive, but I think your life is worth it. So, I'd like everybody who's listening, unless you're driving, 
uh, <laughs> to close. Well, if you're home, go grab your checkbook, all right? And if you don't have a checkbook, you're somewhere out, just close your eyes for a moment, take a deep breath. And I want you to look at that checkbook, whether it's real or imagined, and see your name being written on that checkbook. Write your name, write today's date, and then in the number space, write one billion dollars. And that's a billion with a B. That's one and nine zeros. And now in the word space, I'd like you to write in letters one billion dollars. Go ahead and sign that check. And now tear that check out of the checkbook and look at it. You've got a check for a billion dollars in your hands in your name with today's date. Feels good, no? Every time I say that, I've got a big smile on my face. <laughs> now fold that check and put it in your pocket. Take a deep breath knowing that you've got a billion dollars in your pocket. Anything you want in life is yours now. You can buy anything, you can try any business. There's no risk, your family's taken care of, your loved one are taken care of. So what have we just removed? We've removed money as an object. So now the question is, with a billion dollars in your pocket, what would you wanna do with your life? Now that money is no longer an object, what would you want to do with your life? I know you might say, I want to travel the world, I want, but what after? I want to buy everything, I want to buy the cars, I want to buy the houses. Once you get over all of this stuff, what next? Fast forward, what do you want to do with your life? That would be the first answer and direction to set you towards your passion. Excellent. It's a, a kind of a very, a very deep way to externalize what is deep within us and I think um, so one once people do this exercise and they and they write that out what what are you hoping that people might find when they write that out when you take the money out of the equation you realize that most of us are living the rat race out of fear of money but there's never enough money because I've I've coached and I work with billionaires I mean I've, I've coached and interviewed literally the last person I interviewed is a self-made billionaire who has 1.4 billion dollars and those people have as much concerns about money as any of us. Mm. Because when you've got $100, you have $100 problems. When you have a billion dollars, you've got a billion dollar problems. It's just a scale, isn't it? It's, it's proportional to what you've got. So once you take money out of the equation, you're gonna start realizing what is it that you truly want out of this life and realize that you have limited time on this planet. Mm. Now, once you've found that as a starting point, it's never the final answer, but it's definitely the starting point. The next thing is, go and develop a plan because if you don't have a plan if you fail to plan you plan to fail plan to Winston fail. Churchill exactly. yeah, that's yeah. Right. so you got to put a plan now the next thing is once you put a plan you have to go and build a passion tribe a passion tribe are like-minded people that will support you and cheer you on your journey those are usually not your old-time friends and your family because a lot of the times these people project their fears on you out of love, not because they hate you, but they don't know what you know inside you. And they genuinely want to keep you safe. Yeah, and, and in their own pursuit of safety, they wanna keep you with them because they love you. Now, once you've developed a passion tribe that supports you on the journey, now you've got an action plan, now you've got the tribe, you have to believe in yourself at the end of the day because then you don't listen to the outside world. Mm. It takes faith 
to know that you're gonna get there sooner or later. Without self-belief, you're not gonna go anywhere. And now that you've got that self-belief, guess what's missing? Take action now. And that's the part we find difficult, isn't it? Because passion is not something we necessarily equate with um, a tangible plan. But now that we've got that, it's the, okay, what's next? And now we actually have to take action. Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. And just in departing now, um, what's next for you? Well, I have a target of inspiring 7.77777 million people by 21st December 2028 p.m. So I'm building up towards that goal from a point of inspiring that many people. And equally, uh, we've started to spin off a new passion series. So Passion Sundays is general about pursuing passion in life. The next thing is the passion journey, which is helping uh, people discover their passion. That's the online program. And now we're moving into spinning off other shows like world's most passionate speakers so that's for author speakers and experts on awesome. how to be the most passionate in what they do and we're gonna go into every industry and interview the top hundred people in that industry and figure out the reasons that made them the most passionate amazing well it sounds like you're gonna be very busy or more than busy for the next couple of years so thanks very much for joining us today it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, I know that I'm a bit more um, geared up with knowing how to deal with the word passion now and um, also what to do with it next Beautiful. so thanks again and Thank you very I'm much. sure we'll talk again thank you very much Hey, thanks so much for staying around to the end of this episode. I really do hope that the conversation that I had with Mustafa Hamwi really did add value to you and that you can find in amongst there something simple and something very straightforward that you can do and take action on tomorrow to create some significant changes in your life. So go ahead and check out nathanshooter.com for the session notes. And why not go ahead and share this episode on Twitter or Facebook, wherever you live, to really go and help out a friend. So I, again, appreciate you and really do hope you have a wonderful week and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. To connect with Nathan, simply visit facebook.com forward slash Nathan Shooter blog or Twitter and Instagram using at Nathan Shooter. We also invite you to comment, ask questions and subscribe to the email editions at NathanShooter.com.